Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. It says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits and they were healed. And the whole multitude, it says, sought to touch him for power went out from him and healed them all. In our study today, we're going to see in verses 17 through 19, Jesus healing and verses 20 through 36 is Jesus teaching uh, his word. Here we see the Lord coming down and as he comes to this level place, which could actually be in a mountain on a plateau, um, it says a crowd of his disciples came, a great multitude. The people, it says they come from Judea, they come from Jerusalem, they come from Tyre, they come from Sidon. Um, Judea and Jerusalem would be in the middle of Israel. A Tyre and Sidon would actually be 50 miles above the northern brink of Israel. And so, you know, they're coming from a long ways away. Think about it. You know, some of you here, you drive to a pretty, oh, I should say you drove. You drove a pretty good distance, right? Maybe three miles, five miles, seven miles. Think about this. These people came 50 miles, 50 miles. They didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles back then, right? And so they came, maybe they came on horseback. I don't know at best. Maybe they came on some wagon, but it wasn't an easy journey. Because uh, it's been said that a church alive is worth the drive. I don't know if you guys have heard that before. Uh, this is definitely a church alive, huh? Because <laughs> look at why they came. It says right there that they came to hear him in verse 17 and to be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. I love the way and the reason that they came, man. Primarily, and I, I like the way it's stated first, to hear him, and then secondly, to be healed. To be healed of their diseases. So there were people there that it says they were tormented. Uh, the word means troubled, disturbed, even molested by demons. I mean, these are definitely some hurting people. You know, I don't know where you guys are at in your relationship with the Lord. I don't know what it takes to kind of get you to church or to get you into the word and in prayer and in seeking the Lord. But one thing I know, we all need his healing. We all do. You know, we're all broken somehow, some way. Something's happened in our life or, you know, maybe you've been hurt by someone or you've hurt yourself we live in a world where there's a lot of crazy things that happen. Accidents happen all the time. You know, not just automobile accidents, but just things happen that really, uh, they, we're, we're dysfunctional, you know. And I'm telling you this, man, that the only one that can really heal you is the Lord. But it's not just coming to church and it's not just coming to where Christians are. It's coming to Christ. You know, it's not just coming to the congregational gathering. It's got to be a personal experience. You know, maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I'm not seeing much happen. Well, then it's probably because you haven't truly allowed the Lord to touch you. You haven't truly touched him. That's why there's not much happening. Look, it says right here in verse uh, 19, and the whole multitude sought to do what? To touch him. Why? Because power went out from him and healed them all. 
You know, I, I am an example. Some of you here are examples. You used to be, you know, drug addicts or, you know, you drink alcohol. You were involved in sexual activities before you were married. You used to cuss like a sailor. A lot of different things. You were very, 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 very selfish. And then one day Jesus Christ came into your life and he saved you. He set you free. He gave you power. And all I know is this, you guys, that there's the power of God, the same power that spoke the universe into existence, the same power that brought life to the dead is available for your life. But you got to come in. you got to come in. you gotta, you got to really touch the Lord. you got to make sure that that's the type of Christian you are, that you are such that touch the Lord. Because even coming to church, it doesn't count, you know, necessarily. Going through those doors. You know, one day when you get older, maybe you're going to say, well, I tried church and I went through the doors and I, you know, nothing ever happened. Because it's not just going through the doors. It's not just that door. It's this door. It's this door, man, where you really do. You're serious with the Lord. And you're different than the rest, you know, because you really want this to happen you know you need his healing and you're not going to stop you're just not going to stop you're not going to stop until you make that connection with christ Uh, we see it later if you want to go over to luke chapter 8 in verse 36 so i'm sorry this isn't the right story i'm i'm messing you guys up where's it at again here i man see i gotta look at my notes hold on just a second right here we see it in uh where is it at it's in the gospel of luke i know that Luke chapter 8, I'm sorry, verse 43. You guys remember this story? Uh, Now a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, she came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came, trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, Be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And, and, you know, we don't want to develop this story too much because we're going to be there in in a little bit. But, you know, you get the picture, man. You've got all these people and Jesus is walking through town and everybody's kind of rustling up against him. And then all of a sudden, you know, Jesus feels power go out. And so he stops and he says, "Okay, who touched me? I mean, he knew who it was, but he wanted to bring her out, right? And uh, and she eventually says, it was me, Lord. It was a woman who had a flow of blood. Think about it, a flow of blood for 12 years. She just kept bleeding and bleeding and bleeding every day. Just bleeding every day. And when she's bleeding every day, that makes her unclean. That means she can't go to the temple. And it means that if anybody touches her, they're unclean. And so here's a woman who spent all her money all her money, all her livelihood, everything she ever had, trying to to be healed. And she couldn't. There was no one who could help her. And she couldn't go to the temple, and she couldn't really have anybody touch her. And so she's living that life, think about it, for 12 years. And then one day she finds out that there is a 
a rabbi, there's a Messiah, there's a Christ, there's a Lord who has the power to heal her. And so, well, everybody, you know, I'm sure they're excited and everything. Basically, what you find here is a woman who's desperate. And she says, you know what? I know if I can just touch him, I'll be healed. And she makes her way through and she, you know, probably, you know, elbows a couple of people (laughs) to get in there. But it's totally worth it because think about it. The instant she made that connection with Christ, she was healed. You know, and God can do that uh, physically. Uh, He doesn't always want to do that because sometimes those physical issues are are, are intended to keep us at his, at his cross and keep us weak so he could be strong. But I, I want to know, I want to tell you this. He will always want to do that emotionally in your life. He will always want to do that spiritually in your life. And what do we have to do? Well, we have to make sure that we come to hear him. We come to touch him. We make that connection with Christ. It's so important, you guys, because as we look through the scriptures, we see that this is what it's all about. You know, there are people out there that are tormented. Maybe even you're tormented, man. And when you touch the Lord, back in Luke chapter 6, power will come from God to heal your life. Until then, until that day, I promise you this, you will always be empty. You will always be dysfunctional. You will always be crippled. You will never be complete until you connect with Jesus Christ. He will heal you. He will heal you. And he will teach you how to live. Because look what we read in verse 20. It says, Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And woe to you who are full For you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Now, real quick, um, some people think that this is the equivalent of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, and Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And that's a possibility. Um, This might be the same incident, kind of in a condensed version. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, it could be that he was on a mountain and a plateau because we know that the Sermon on the Mount was actually a sermon on the Mount. Um, but we do know this, that what Jesus would do, you guys, is he would go from village to village. He was called an itinerant preacher. And so he would preach the same message in different locations. He would preach the essential message, the fundamental message, the foundational message, we see this right here repeated throughout the Gospels. And what it is, some say, is kind of like a Christian manifesto. Man. It's, um, is there, this is really what it is you know, to be a Christian. This is the life of a Christian. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. 
Because I think a lot of us here, when we think of being a Christian, we think of just, you know, a very comfortable life, a very convenient life, a life that, you know, it brings kind of like the wisdom from God so that, you know, life will be easy. And yet that's not really what being a Christian really is. Uh, uh, being a Christian Obviously, it means that you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. You give him your life. You trust him as your Lord and Savior. But then you go out and you live radically different. And if I could say this, a lot of times it's radically different than what the rest of the church is doing. You know, don't use the church as your example. Don't use the church as your standard. Use the the word of God. Use the Lord Jesus Christ. Use the things that he teaches you. You know, because a lot of times we look at individuals and our heart goes out to them and we feel sorry for them and and really they're blessed (laughs) and you're not. (laughs) You know, because that's what he says right there in verse 20. Blessed are you poor, uh, for yours is the kingdom of God. How many of you here are poor? None of you are. None of you are poor. I I, I don't think so anyways. (laughs) Well, maybe a couple. I don't know. You're like, well, I don't have a cell phone. Well, I don't have a, you know, a car. I don't have a, a house. I just rent, you know. You ain't poor. <laughs> if you live in America, you're rich, okay? And I think what the Lord wants to do, we're going to see the distinction between Luke and Matthew. Luke, um, he does talk, I think we can't take away from the fact that he is just speaking to the poor. You know, because a lot of times the poor think that God doesn't love them, and, and he does. And sometimes being poor will actually be beneficial for you because one day you're going to go to heaven. Because Jesus said what? It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, huh? If you have a lot of money, you might not, you might not ever turn to the Lord. You know, back in Luke chapter 4, remember what the Lord said in verse 18? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, part of the reason, again, is because they were forgotten in those days. Um, but we know, according to Matthew, that Matthew kind of fills in the gaps. He says, blessed are the what? The poor in spirit, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we get the full picture when we put the Gospels together. And what we see is that the one who's really blessed is the one who understands their spiritual bankruptcy apart from Jesus Christ. You know, the one who realizes that they're in they're in um, they're in really bad shape, man, because they're a sinner, and they've sinned not against the church, not against a man, not because you know against their son or daughter or parents or wife. Or, they have sinned against God, and they, in the fallen condition that they are in, are are wicked and rebellious and lost without hope. You know, this is an individual who really understands that they are in a situation that is not right. You know, how about you? You know, maybe there's some of you here today that aren't Christians. Maybe you're not a Christian. You think you're going to be okay? You think that one day when you stand before God, you think that he's going to let you in because you're a good person? You think you're good enough to go to heaven on your own righteousness, on your own behavior? Well, if you think that, you are deceived big time. Because you think bad thoughts and you do bad things and you sin against God and there's so much. We rebel against so many people. 
And, and that's why the Lord says it's blessed when you're, when you're poor in spirit. When you understand who you are apart from Christ. I remember when, the, when I got saved, man. When I got saved, I remember the pastor would preach and he'd share things. And, you know, he didn't really share a whole bunch of things. But I just remember going up and just weeping and crying over my sins. I was just bawling over my sins. And we're going to talk more about that later. You know, because the Lord showed me what a sinner I am. You know, and and I, nowadays I see altar calls. And I see people, you know, going up, uh, raising, chewing gum. You know, they're skipping up to the altar call or something. I'm like, man, they're not poor in spirit. They don't see themselves in light of God. And that's why it's important that we maintain that poverty of spirit. You know, even after you become a Christian, you guys, even after you become a Christian, you know, remember who you are apart from the Lord, that you're nothing, that we're, we're wicked, that we're wretched, because that will keep you usable, that will keep you humble. You know, never come to a point in your life where you think, oh, you're better than them or better than him or better than her, because then you're beginning to judge yourself based on the standards of human beings. And, you know, you can always probably do good when you grade on a curve. Compare yourself to God. Compare yourself to God. How do you think you'll do? You're not going to do good. And so who are you? You're poor in spirit, right? Blessed is that individual who's humble. He second says, verse 21, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. And again, I think he's speaking you know, a little bit to the, the people who are, are out there that are hungry, and God just wants to encourage them. Listen, man, this is not all there is. You know, I want you to know, and you know, sometimes we see the pictures of those kids that don't have any food. Don't have any food, and thousands die of starvation every single day. But the ones that know the Lord, he says, man, blessed are you. I just want you to know one day you'll be filled. I think Luke kind of brings that to us because he talks a lot about the poor. But again, Matthew fills in the whole gap because what does he say? Blessed are you hunger and thirst for righteousness, huh? For you shall be satisfied for you will be filled. How about you? I know you're not hungry physically. Because we live in America, right? You know, you're, how long has it been since you've really been hungry, seriously? I mean, you can go two, three days. You're not really hungry. I don't even know if you've ever experienced that in your whole life. Even we see the little kids, the little babies. You can ask these mommies over there, man. When their kids start crying, oh, you got to feed them, you know? I mean, are they really hungry? I don't think that, that for us that's going to be an issue. But let me ask you a question. Are you hungry spiritually? Do you have an appetite for the things of God? Do you want to come to church or do we have to drag you here? Do you want to read your Bible? Do you want to pray? Do you want to be like Jesus Christ? Because he will use church, the Bible, and the word to make you like him. Do you really hunger for righteousness? If you don't, if you don't hunger for those things, let me show you, two, either one of two things are happening, okay? Either one, you're, you're dying, or two, you're dead. 
But if you are hungry, then right here the Lord gives you a promise right there. He says, man, you will be filled. And the Lord will uh, just allow you, man, to have that desire of your heart. You know, I want to be like the Lord, man. And it's going to take a while, but man, one day it's going to happen. I know for sure when I die. But even in the meantime, what is he doing? Is He's making us more and more like him. Blessed are you poor. Blessed are you hungry. He says in verse 21, the latter portion, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And again, I think Luke kind of tweaks it just a little bit because he wants to bring a point, but then we put it all together and we come home with the main point, and that is this, that there are people who go through hard times, man. And, you know, sometimes you'll hear little Christian cliches or even worldly cliches. Oh, there's light at the end of the tunnel, you know, stuff like that, you know. But, you know, sometimes you see lives and you're like, man, I don't see no light. (laughs) And then they die and then they're Christians and you're like, man, what happened to them? Well, it doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't. You know, um, I just got done reading a book. Uh, Stephen Chris Chapman's wife, she wrote it. That's why I was really interested in it because I wanted to kind of hear a little bit about their life. And, you know, it's an interesting book. It's it, To me, it, I loved it. You probably, I don't know if you'd like it because you don't like Stephen Chris Chapman as much as I do. But it made me laugh out loud. I was busting up sometimes reading it. My kids would say, Dad, what's wrong with you? You know, and I'd be busting up. Next thing you know, I'm weeping, man. The very next page, it was just kind of like that. Because, man, their, their little daughter, their little four-year-old girl died. And you're like, well, that's not supposed to happen to Christian families. That's not supposed to happen to a, a Christian family that really loves the Lord. But it did. And what God has done in their life is he's taken the ashes and he's made beauty out of it. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And, you know, I don't want you guys to go through the hard times. Sometimes I wish I could protect you. I know I can't. I'm sure you try to protect your kids. No hard times, no hard times. And you've got all these things about them. But sometimes it's those hard times that they need. huh? It builds character. But not only weeping because of the calamities that take place in our life, but I think also just weeping over our sins. Like I mentioned earlier, and this time we'll go over to Luke 7 and, uh, and look at verse 36. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house and brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now, this woman who was a sinner, more than likely she was a prostitute. She was definitely, you know, sexually, you know, out there, man. And so, you know, she comes and she brings an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And it says she stood at his feet behind him. Notice behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, he saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now I think it's interesting again, she's touching him. I just, I don't know, I thought that was cool. Anyways, verse 40, And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, Teacher, say it. 
They said there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman. Notice he's, he's looking now at the woman. And he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And you gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven... The same loves little. You see, this woman is practicing what we just read. If you go back to Luke chapter 6, blessed are those who weep. But see, she's weeping over her sins. And she's weeping, I believe weeping, over the hope that she can be forgiven of all those sins. She's weeping over the hope that here's the one that I can come to to give me life. And if I could just ask you for just a split second, Matt, when was the last time you wept over your sins? Or you're like, well, I don't owe 500 denarii. I only owe 50, Manny, because I'm a pretty good guy. Well, now you're worse than when you started, okay? Because <laughs> you're all, we're all, uh, apart from the Lord, all of us here are on equal ground. We're all terrible sinners. See? And the reason why she, you know, loved so much is because she was in tune with her sin. She understood who she was apart from Christ. And therefore, when she came to him, the, the Pharisees didn't even come to him. They're like, we don't need, to, we don't need that. We're, we're pretty good. See, they weren't weeping over their sins. All I know is this, man, that when you really get with the Lord and you spend that time with the Lord and you just bring your heart out and your life out, the things that you say to people sometimes, you hurt them so much. Why would you say that to them? Or why would you, you know, do that to God? You know, and you bring them to the Lord. I know this, man. It brings me to a place of weeping. And I think that we need to just get with the Lord and, and we need to weep over our sins. And she took her hair. Think about it, man. Her hair, which was the crown of the woman, her, the glory of the woman. And she wiped his feet and kissed his feet. And that's what we need to do. You see, this is the blessed life that Jesus is speaking of. This is the radical life, you guys. You're my thinking, man, I don't know, man, poor in spirit, you know, and hungering and thirsting for righteousness and weeping over my sins. I mean, you know, but this is really the, the life of a Christian. And, and, and when you're living the life, look at verse 22, Luke 6. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner, their fathers did to the prophets. You know, and it's kind of weird, you know. Blessed are you when men hate you. 
Does anybody hate you for the Son of Man's sake? I'm not talking about hating you because you're being obnoxious, okay? I'm not talking about hating you because you're being rebellious to God. I'm talking about hating you because you love Jesus Christ so much. Does anyone hate you? Do you weep over your sins? Are you poor, broken, and poverty in spirit? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness as a deer pants after the water? See, this is Christianity, you guys. This is the Christian manifesto. This is where we're supposed to be. These are the ones that are really going to be blessed. He says a couple of things that if you are hated for me, then what ends up happening? He says, number one, you have good compensation. And number two, you're in good company. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Yeah, someone hates me. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. Then you're going to get a reward that's great in heaven. Not just because you do stuff. A lot of times we can even do good things as Christians and still try to make everybody happy except God. But when you're really just trying to make God happy, more than likely you're going to be misunderstood. People will speak against you. People will even hate you. Your family will hate you sometimes. Your friends. Because you love Christ. But if that's you and you're really making a stand, then you have a great reward in heaven. It's a good compensation. And then secondly, you're in good company. For in like manner, their fathers did to the prophets, man. They sawed, how do, they, how do you say, they cut Isaiah in half. Think about that. They threw Jeremiah in a pit, you know. I mean, just you go through the uh, prophets, they killed them, they stoned them. It's amazing. And he said, that's, that's the way it was for them. He kind of does a flip side in verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And not that being rich is a sin. There are some people who are rich and they love the Lord. And not that laughing is a sin either, because I love to laugh. It only takes 17 muscles to laugh and 72 to frown. So I think God wants us to laugh. I love to laugh. But what, what he's talking about right here, I love being full. Well, actually, I don't like being full, but <laughs> I like to eat. Forgive me, Lord. Anyways, you know what he's saying is that if that's all you're living for, if you're living for the here and now, if you're living just for yourself, if you're living to please men, he says, woe to you. And so blessings to those and woe to these. It's a warning. And that's where we have to check our motive. Lord, why do I do what I do? Am I living for you or am I living for now? And there are some people, I remember when I went to college, before I was a Christian, they asked me, what are you majoring in? I said, money. I just, man, I just got to want to make money. You know, I don't know what I was going to do, but I said, I want money. Some people, it's all about money. I want to buy a house. I want to uh, get the Hummer. I want that stuff. And, and God says, if that's you, woe to you. He says, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. But then you're going to get it. If you know what I mean, you know. You're going to get it. You're going to be full now. Cool. Go stuff yourself with 150,000 slices of pizza for the rest of your life. And you're going to have everything, you know. And you're going to go out and you're going to be entertained and go on all the vacations. And you're going to do the all the pleasure-seeking of the world that it has to offer. You're going to experience everything that the world has to offer. But then one day you're going to die. 
And you're going to, even while you're living, you're going to realize that it's empty inside, right? The Lord just says, hey, this is the blessing. This is the warning. I want you to know that being a Christian is being really radical. It even gets worse. Now, look at verse 27. Well, I shouldn't use the word worse, but look what he says in verse 27. I say to you who hear. Now, what he's saying right there, I say to you who hear. He's saying, I'm saying to you who are listening. Okay, this is Jesus. He says, I'm saying to you who are listening. Okay, some of you are listening. Some of you are not listening. Okay, but for those of you here who are listening, this is what he says. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. This is radical. I mean, love your enemies. I definitely don't feel like it. Who's your enemy? Well, your enemy is the one who comes against you. Your enemy is the one that um, is used by the enemy to come against you. That's heavy. Your enemy is the one who speaks against you, who hurts your children. Your enemy is the one who does something to you, that devastates you, that rocks your world. What do you do? Well, the Lord says you love them. And so here you are, and you're okay. Okay, I'm going to love my enemy. I'm going to write him a little note. I love you, you know. No, it's not just words, huh? Love is never just words. And so just in case you're wondering what it looks like, four things to do. Number one, what do you do? It says right there, you do good to them. I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. So do good to them, man. When they do you bad, what do you do? You do them good. He says, bless those who curse you. And what that means is that they speak smack against you and they come against you and they verbally abuse you. They curse you. You bless them. You speak good to them. And you even speak good of them. What do we normally do? Well, we definitely don't do them good. And we definitely talk behind their back. And God says, if that's you, you're not acting like a Christian. Love your enemies. What do you do? You do good to them, number one. You bless those who curse you. And then he says right there, you pray for those who spitefully use you. And that's the ones that mistreat you and abuse you. It's interesting. You pray for them. You know, And you're like, maybe you're here today and you're like, okay, I have this enemy and I'm going to pray the prayer of David, man. <laughs> and so David, remember what David prayed? Break their teeth, Lord. Kill them, Lord. <laughs> David prayed, take their kids and smash them against the rocks. I mean, ew, that's crazy, right? You're like, it's biblical. Okay, but it's Old Testament. It's Old Testament and precatory psalms that come before the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the cross shows us the heart of God. Because what did the Lord do to his enemies and for his enemies? He died for them. He loved them. And this is what we have to do. Well, what happens if they insult me, Manny? Well, the Lord says there in verse 29, To him who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And so, you know, can you, have you ever been slapped on, on the cheek before? I hope not. I could just imagine how, how, how her- terribly humiliating that is, you know. It's not necessarily a physical assault, okay. If someone assaults you physically, you have the right to defend yourself, okay. I want you to know that. If someone assaults you, you don't have the right to retaliate. You can defend yourself. 
But what he's speaking of right here is an insult. And here's an individual. What do they do? They insult you. And so God says, what, what you, what you, you can't insult them back, for one. Number two, you, you, you want to run away from the problem, huh? You want to run away from the situation. You want to run away so you'll never be insulted by that person again, huh? You want to run away. But God says, you can't. You've got to give them the other cheek. That's all part of loving them. And then he says right here, and from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. So that's your outer coat. He says, go ahead and give him your undergarment. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. You know, unfortunately, I'm guilty of that. Where I took someone's goods and never asked it back. And sometimes, you know, you have that situation. Well, what happens many if they come and they ask for money? Well, remember, all this is under the banner of love. Sometimes the loving thing to do is not to give them what they ask for. And so you have to take that into perspective right here. But don't do it just because of your greediness and your covetousness and your selfishness. God says, this is the, the heart that you have to have. And verse 31, they call it the golden rule. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. You know what? If we followed that, our life would be so, so different, huh? And so you're like, you know, okay, cool. But then you kind of, it kind of wears off. And then the Lord kind of brings it back to where it started in verse 32. But you're going to see this, this phrase over and over again. What credit is it to you? Look at verse 30, uh, 32. But what, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, he says, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. And the Lord says, man, just make sure in closing that you understand that if you want to receive a reward one day, you know, when you die and you want to stand at the bema seat of Christ, you know, and you're, you're hoping to get, you know, a crown of gold that you can toss at Jesus' feet, and you're hoping to get some type of good, you know, reward, you know, for your labors here on earth, you know, it's got to be a radical thing in which you weren't just nice to those who were nice to you. You weren't just loving to those who were loving to you. That you were different. You loved and you were nice to those who you might even consider to be your enemy. They might not even be your enemy. I don't know. But basically, I've learned that you've got to be this way with everyone. Because then, and only then, when you're different than the rest of the world, because the rest of the world does that. They all do that. Oh, they're so nice. They're so nice to those who are nice to them. Big deal. Big deal, God says. Who cares? That doesn't impress me. If you're so nice to those who are nice to you, no big deal in God's calendar, God's agenda. It's big when you love and are nice and are kind and pray for and don't talk smack about and you give to those who are your enemies. And we have to check our heart, you guys, because God tells us what to do because he wants us to be 
like him. Because that's what changed our life. That's what brought me into the kingdom. You know, where would I be right now if I was given what I deserve? Where would I be right now if when I was God's enemy, he gave me what I deserve? Where would I be right now if it were not for the unconditional and unchanging and limitless love that God has for me? I'd be in hell. And so would you. And so God is saying, I want you to be like your father, okay? I want you to be like him. I want you to be merciful, just as your father in heaven is merciful. I want you to love the way that I love. This is what being a Christian really is, you guys. So God help us. We can't do this on our own strength. Whatever you do, don't think, okay, I'm going to go do it. (laughs) Because you can't go do it. Apart from his strength, huh? But if right now you would say, Lord, I want to be this type of person. I want you to heal me. I want you to touch me. I want to touch you, Lord. I want to really be a radical Christian. Then right now where you're at, I think a good thing to do would be say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I can't. Lord, I need you. I need you right now to give me strength to be this way. And Lord, we thank you so much that we can pray, that we can ask Lord, that we would have this type of love, that we would be these types of people, Lord God, this type of person, Father God, that would actually be able to go out and to live life in a radical way. We don't want to store up any bitterness, Lord God, because it ruins us and it brings reproach to your name. God, I pray that every single person here today would know that the power of God is present. I pray, Lord, that you would help us by faith, Lord, just to connect with Christ, Lord, and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. I pray that when we go to work and then when we go to school and we go wherever it is that we go, Lord, that we would be different, Lord, that we would be a people that would be like you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And Lord, I also pray if there's anyone here, Lord, who doesn't know you, they don't hunger and thirst after righteousness, but today maybe... You've spoken to their hearts. Lord, I pray that today they would pray to receive you as Lord and Savior. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you're not a Christian and and you want to be one, you want to be forgiven, you want to turn from your sins and trust in Christ, then right where you're at, just pray this prayer in your heart. That prayer, this prayer, it can change everything if you really want.